0: Section five of The Wood Beyond the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Corrie Samuel. The Wood Beyond the World by William Morris. Chapter thirteen. Now is the hunt up. Next morning was he up betimes, but he was cast down and heavy of heart, not looking for aught else to betide than had betid those last four days. But otherwise it fell out, for when he came down into the hall, there was the lady sitting on the high seat all alone, clad but in a coat of white linen, and she turned her head when she heard his footsteps, and looked on him, and greeted him, and said, Come hither, guest. So he went and stood before her, and she said, Though as yet thou hast had no welcome here, and no honour, it hath not entered into thine heart to flee from us, and to say sooth, that is well for thee, for flee away from our hand thou mightest not, nor mightest thou depart without our furtherance. But for this we can thee thank, that thou hast abided here our bidding, and eaten thine heart through the heavy wearing of four days, and made no plaint yet I cannot deem thee a dastard. Thou so well-knit and shapely of body, so clear-eyed and bold of visage. Wherefore now I ask thee, art thou willing to do me service, thereby to earn thy guesting? Walter answered her, somewhat faltering at first, for he was astonished at the change which had come over her, for now she spoke to him in friendly wise, so indeed, as a great lady would speak to a young man ready to serve her in all honour, said he, lady, I can thank thee humbly and heartily in that thou biddest me do thee service for these days past. I have loathed the emptiness of the hours, and naught better could I ask for than to serve so glorious a mistress in all honour. She frowned somewhat and said, Thou shalt not call me mistress; there is but one who so calleth me." that is my thrall, and thou art none such. Thou shalt call me lady, and I shall be well pleased that thou be my squire, and for this present thou shalt serve me in the hunting. So get thy gear, take thy bow and arrows, and gird thee to thy sword, for in this fair land may one find beasts more perilous than be buck or hart. I go now to array me. We will depart while the day is yet young, for so make we the summer day the fairest. He made obeisance to her and she arose and went to her chamber and walter dight himself and then abode her in the porch and in less than an hour she came out of the hall and walter's heart beat when he saw that the maid followed her hard at heel and scarce might he school his eyes not to gaze over eagerly at his dear friend she was clad even as she was before and was changed in no wise save that love troubled her face when she first beheld him and she had much ado to master it, howbeit the mistress heeded not the trouble of her, or made no semblance of heeding it, till the maiden's face was all according to its wont. But this Walter found strange, that after all that disdain of the maid's thralldom which he had heard of the mistress, and after all the threats against her, now was the mistress become mild and debonair to her, as a good lady to her good maiden. When Walter bowed the knee to her, she turned unto the maid, and said, "'Look thou, my maid, at this fair new squire that I have gotten, will not he be valiant in the greenwood, and see whether he be well-shapen or not? Doth he not touch thine heart, when thou thinkest of all the woe, and fear, and trouble, of the world beyond the wood, which he hath escaped, to dwell in this little land peaceably, and well-beloved both by the mistress and the maid? And thou, my squire, look a little at this fair slim maiden and say if she pleaseth thee not, didst thou deem that we had any thing so fair in this lonely place? Frank and kind was the smile on her radiant visage, nor did she seem to note any whit the trouble on Walter's face, nor how he strove to keep his eyes from the maid. As for her, she had so wholly mastered her countenance, that belike she used her face guilefully, for she stood as one humble but happy, with a smile on her face, blushing, and with her head hung down, as if shamefaced before a goodly young man a stranger. But the lady looked upon her kindly, and said, Come hither, child, and fear not this frank and free young man, who belike feareth thee a little, and full certainly feareth me, and yet only after the manner of men. And therewith she took the maid by the hand, and drew her to her, and pressed her to her bosom and kissed her cheeks and her lips, and undid the lacing of her gown and bared a shoulder of her, and swept away her skirt from her feet, and then turned to Walter and said, Lo, thou squire, is not this a lovely thing to have grown up amongst our rough oak-bowls? What, art thou looking at the iron ring there? It is naught, save a token that she is mine, and that I may not be without her. Then she took the maid by the shoulders— and turned her about as in sport, and said, Go thou now, and bring hither the good grey ones, for needs must we bring home some venison to-day, whereas this stout warrior may not feed on nought save manchets and honey. So the maid went her way, taking care, as Walter deemed, to give no side glance to him. But he stood there shamefaced, so confused with all this open-hearted kindness of the great lady and with a fresh sight of the darling beauty of the maid, that he went nigh to thinking that all he had heard, since he had come to the porch of the house that first time, was but a dream of evil. But while he stood pondering these matters, and staring before him as one mazed, the lady laughed out in his face, and touched him on the arm, and said, "'Ah, our squire, Is it so that now thou hast seen my maid, thou wouldst with a good will abide behind to talk with her? But call to mind thy word pledged to me e'en now, and moreover I tell thee this for thy behoof, now she is out of earshot, that I will above all things take thee away to-day, for there be other eyes, and they naught uncomely, that look at wiles on my fair-ankled thrall, and who knows but the swords might be out if I take not the better heed, and give thee not every wit of thy will. As she spoke and moved forward, he turned a little, so that now the edge of that hazel coppice was within his eyeshot, and he deemed that once more he saw the yellow-brown evil thing crawling forth from the thicket. Then, turning suddenly on the lady, he met her eyes, and seemed in one moment of time to find a far other look in them than that of frankness and kindness, though in a flash they changed back again, and she said merrily and sweetly, "'So, so, Sir Squire, now art thou awake again, and mayest for a little while look on me.' Now it came into his head, with that look of hers, all that might befall him and the maid, if he mastered not his passion, nor did what he might to dissemble. So he bent the knee to her, and spoke boldly to her in her own vein, and said, "'Nay, most gracious of ladies, never would I abide behind to-day, since thou farest afield. field. But if my speech be hampered, or mine eyes stray, is it not because my mind is confused by thy beauty, and the honey of kind words which floweth from thy mouth?' She laughed outright at his word, but not disdainfully, and said, "'This is well spoken, squire, and even what a squire should say to his liege lady when the sun is up on a fair morning, and she and he and all the world are glad.' She stood quite near him as she spoke, her hand was on his shoulder, and her eyes shone and sparkled. Sooth to say, that excusing of his confusion was like enough in seeming to the truth, for sure never creature was fashioned fairer than she, clad she was for the Greenwood as the hunting goddess of the Gentiles, with her green gown gathered unto her girdle, and sandals on her feet, a bow in her hand and a quiver at her back. She was taller and bigger of fashion than the dear maiden, whiter of flesh, and more glorious, and brighter of hair, as a flower of flowers for fairness and fragrance. She said, Thou art verily a fair squire before the hunt is up, and if thou be as good in the hunting, all will be better than well, and the guest will be welcome. But lo, here cometh our maid with the good grey ones. Go meet her. "'and we will tarry no longer "'than for thy taking the leash in hand.' "'So Walter looked, "'and saw the maid coming "'with two couple of great hounds in the leash, "'straining against her as she came along. "'He ran lightly to meet her, "'wondering if he should have a look "'or a half-whisper from her, "'but she let him take the white thongs "'from her hand, "'with the same half-smile of shamefacedness "'still set on her face, "'and, going past him, came softly up to the lady, swaying like a willow-branch in the wind, and stood before her, with her arms hanging down by her sides. Then the lady turned to her, and said, Look to thyself, our maid, while we are away. This fair young man thou needest not to fear, indeed, for he is good and leal. But what thou shalt do with the king's son I wot not. He is a hot lover, forsooth, but a hard man, and whiles evil is his mood, and perilous both to thee and me. And if thou do his will, it shall be ill for thee, and if thou do it not, take heed of him, and let me, and me only, come between his wrath and thee. I may do somewhat for thee. Even yesterday he was instant with me to have thee chastised after the manner of thralls, but I bade him keep silence of such words, and jeered him, and mocked him, till he went away from me peevish and in anger. So look to it that thou fall not into any trap of his contrivance. Then the maid cast herself at the mistress's feet, and kissed and embraced them, and as she rose up the lady laid her hand lightly on her head, and then, turning to Walter, cried out, Now, squire, let us leave all these troubles and wiles and desires behind us, and flit through the merry greenwood like the gentiles of old days. And therewith she drew up the laps of her gown till the whiteness of her knees was seen, and set off swiftly toward the wood that lay south of the house, and Walter followed, marvelling at her goodliness. Nor durst he cast a look backward to the maiden, for he knew that she desired him, and it was her only that he looked to for his deliverance from this house of guile and lies. Chapter Fourteen. The Hunting of the Heart. As they went, they found a change in the land, which grew emptier of big and wide-spreading trees, and more beset with thickets. From one of these, they roused a hart, and Walter let slip his hounds thereafter, and he and the lady followed running. Exceeding swift was she, and well breathed withal, so that Walter wondered at her and eager she was in the chase as the very hounds, heeding nothing the scratching of briars, or the whipping of stiff twigs as she sped on. But for all their eager hunting, the quarry outran both dogs and folk, and gat him into a great thicket, amidmost whereof was a wide plash of water. Into the thicket they followed him, but he took to the water under their eyes, and made land on the other side, and because of the tangle of underwood, he swam across much faster than they might have any hope to come round on him. And so were the hunters left undone for that time. So the lady cast herself down on the green grass and neither the water, while Walter blew the hounds in and coupled them up. Then he turned round to her, and lo, she was weeping, for despite that they had lost the quarry. And again did Walter wonder that so little a matter should raise a passion of tears in her. He durst not ask what ailed her, or proffer her solace, but was not ill paid by beholding her loveliness as she lay. Presently she raised up her head, and turned to Walter, and spake to him angrily, and said, Squire, why dost thou stand staring at me like a fool? Yea, lady, he said, but the sight of thee maketh me foolish to do aught else but to look on thee. She said, in a peevish voice, "'Tush, squire, the day is too far spent "'for soft and courtly speeches. "'What was good there is nought so good here. "'Withal I know more of thine heart than thou deemest.' "'Walter hung down his head and reddened, "'and she looked on him, and her face changed, "'and she smiled and said, kindly this time, "'Look ye, squire, I am hot and weary and ill-content, but presently it will be better with me, for my knees have been telling my shoulders that the cold water of this little lake will be sweet and pleasant this summer noonday, and that I shall forget my foil when I have taken my pleasure therein. Wherefore, go thou with thine hounds without the thicket, and there abide my coming. And I bid thee look not aback as thou goest, for therein were peril to thee. I shall not keep thee tarrying long alone." he bowed his head to her, and turned and went his ways. And now, when he was a little space away from her, he deemed her indeed a marvel of women, and well-nigh forgot all his doubts and fears concerning her, whether she were a fair image fashioned out of lies and guile, or it might be but an evil thing in the shape of a goodly woman. Forsooth, when he saw her caressing the dear and friendly maid, his heart all turned against her, despite what his eyes and his ears told his mind, and she seemed like, as it were, a serpent, enfolding the simplicity of the body which he loved. But now it was all changed, and he lay on the grass and longed for her coming, which was delayed for somewhat more than an hour. Then she came back to him, smiling and fresh and cheerful, her green gown let down to her heels. He sprang up to meet her, and she came close to him and spake from a laughing face squire hast thou no meat in thy wallet for meseemeth i fed thee when thou art hungry the other day do thou now the same by me he smiled and louted to her and took his wallet and brought out thence bread and flesh and wine and spread them all out before her on the green grass and then stood by humbly before her but she said "'Nay, my squire, sit down by me, and eat with me, for to-day are we both hunters together.' So he sat down by her, trembling, but neither for awe of her greatness, nor for fear and horror of her guile and sorcery. A while they sat there together after they had done their meat, and the lady fell a-talking with Walter, concerning the parts of the earth, and the manners of men, and of his journeyings to and fro. At last she said, Thou hast told me much, and answered all my questions wisely, and as my good squire should, and that pleaseth me. But now, tell me of the city wherein thou art born and bred, a city whereof thou hast hitherto told me naught. Lady, he said, it is a fair and a great city, and to many it seemeth lovely. But I have left it, and now it is nothing to me. Hast thou not kindred there? said she. Yea, said he, and foemen withal, and a false woman waylayeth my life there. And what was she? said the lady. Said Walter, she was but my wife. Was she fair? said the lady. Walter looked on her a while, and then said, I was going to say that she was well nigh as fair as thou, but that may scarce be. Yet was she very fair. But now, kind and gracious lady, I will say this word to thee. I marvel that thou askest so many things Concerning the city of Langton-on-Holm, Where I was born, And where are my kindred yet, For me seemeth that thou knowest it thyself. I know it, I, said the lady. What then? Thou knowest it not, said Walter. Spake the lady, "'and some of her old disdain was in her words. "'Dost thou deem that I wander about the world "'and its cheaping-steads like one of the chapmen? "'Nay, I dwell in the wood beyond the world, and nowhere else. "'What hath put this word into thy mouth?' "'He said, "'Pardon me, lady, if I have misdone, but thus it was. "'Mine own eyes beheld thee going down the quays of our city, "'and thence a shipboard, and the ship sailed out of the haven.' And first of all went a strange dwarf, whom I have seen here, and then thy maid, and then went thy gracious and lovely body. The lady's face changed as he spoke, and she turned red, and then pale, and set her teeth. But she refrained her, and said, Squire, I see of thee that thou art no liar, nor light of wit. Therefore I suppose that thou hast verily seen some appearance of me. But never have I been in Langton nor thought thereof, nor known that such a stead there was, until thou namedst it e'en now. Wherefore I deem that an enemy hath cast the shadow of me on the air of that land. Yea, my lady, said Walter, and what enemy mightest thou have to have done this? She was slow of answer, but spake at last from a quivering mouth of anger. Knowest thou not the sore, that a man's foes are they of his own house? If I find out for a truth who hath done this, the said enemy shall have an evil hour with me. Again she was silent, and she clenched her hands and strained her limbs in the heat of her anger, so that Walter was afraid of her, and all his misgivings came back to his heart again, and he repented that he had told her so much. But in a little while all that trouble and wrath seemed to flow off her, And again was she of good cheer, and kind and sweet to him, and she said, "'But in sooth, however it may be, I thank thee, my squire and friend, for telling me hereof, and surely no white do I lay on thee, and moreover is it not this vision which hath brought thee hither?' "'So it is, lady,' said he. "'Then have we to thank it,' said the lady, and thou art welcome to our land.' and therewith she held out her hand to him, and he took it on his knees and kissed it. And then it was as if a red-hot iron had run through his heart, and he felt faint, and bowed down his head. But he held her hand yet, and kissed it many times, and the wrist, and the arm, and knew not where he was. But she drew a little away from him, and arose, and said, "'Now is the day wearing,' "'and if we are to bear back any venison we must buckle to the work. "'So arise, squire, and take the hounds and come with me, "'for not far off is a little thicket, "'which mostly harbours foison of deer, great and small. "'Let us come our ways.'" CHAPTER Fifteen: THE SLAYING OF THE QUARRY So they walked on quietly thence some half a mile, and ever the lady would have Walter to walk by her side, and not follow a little behind her, as was meet for a servant to do. And she touched his hand at whiles as she showed him beast and fowl and tree, and the sweetness of her body overcame him, so that for a while he thought of nothing save her. Now, when they were come to the thicket-side, she turned to him, and said, "'Squire, I am no ill woodman, so that thou mayest trust me, that we shall not be brought to shame the second time, and I shall do sagely. So knock an arrow to thy bow, and abide me here, and stir not hence, for I shall enter this thicket without the hounds, and arouse the quarry for thee, and see that thou be brisk and clean shooting, and then shalt thou have reward of me. Therewith she drew up her skirts through her girdle again, took her bent bow in her hand, and drew an arrow out of the quiver, and stepped lightly into the thicket, leaving him longing for the sight of her, as he hearkened to the tread of her feet on the dry leaves, and the rustling of the brake as she thrust through it. Thus he stood for a few minutes, and then he heard a kind of gibbering cry without words, yet as of a woman, coming from the thicket, and while his heart was yet gathering the thought that something had gone amiss, he glided swiftly, but with little stir into the brake. He had gone but a little way ere he saw the lady standing there in a narrow clearing, her face as pale as death, her knees cleaving together, her body swaying and tottering, her hands hanging down and the bow and arrow fallen to the ground, and ten yards before her a great-headed yellow creature crouching flat to the earth and slowly drawing nigher. He stopped short. One arrow was already notched to the string, and another hung loose to the lesser fingers of his string hand. He raised his right hand, and drew and loosed in a twinkling. The shaft flew close to the lady's side, and straightway all the wood rung with a huge roar as the yellow lion turned about to bite at the shaft, which had sunk deep into him behind the shoulder, as if a bolt out of the heavens had smitten him. But straightway had Walter loosed again, and then, throwing down his bow, he ran forward, with his drawn sword gleaming in his hand, while the lion welted and rolled, but had no might to move forward. Then Walter went up to him warily, and thrust him through to the heart, and leapt back, lest the beast might yet have life in him to smite. But he left his struggling, his huge voice died out, and he lay there, moveless, before the hunter. Walter abode a little, facing him, and then turned about to the lady, and she had fallen down in a heap whereas she stood, and lay there all huddled up and voiceless. So he knelt down by her, and lifted up her head, and bade her arise, for the foe was slain, and after a little she stretched out her limbs, and turned about on the grass, and seemed to sleep, and the colour came into her face again, and it grew soft and a little smiling. Thus she lay awhile, and Walter sat by her, watching her, till at last she opened her eyes, and sat up, and knew him, and smiling on him, said, What hath befallen, squire, that I have slept and dreamed? He answered nothing, till her memory came back to her, and then she arose, trembling and pale, and said, Let us leave this wood, for the enemy is therein and she hastened away before him till they came out at the thicket-side, whereas the hounds had been left, and they were standing there uneasy and whining. So Walter coupled them, while the lady stayed not, but went away swiftly homeward, and Walter followed. At last she stayed her swift feet, and turned round on Walter, and said, "'Squire, come hither.' So did he, and she said, "'I am weary again,' Let us sit under this quicken tree, and rest us." So they sat down, and she sat looking between her knees a while. And at last she said, Why didst thou not bring the lion's hide? He said, Lady, I will go back and flay the beast, and bring on the hide. And he arose therewith, but she caught him by the skirts, and drew him down, and said, Nay, thou shalt not go. Abide with me. Sit down again. He did so, and she said, Thou shalt not go from me, for I am afraid. I am not used to looking on the face of death. She grew pale as she spoke, and set a hand to her breast, and sat so a while without speaking. At last she turned to him smiling, and said, How was it with the aspect of me when I stood before the peril of the enemy? And she laid a hand upon his o gracious one quoth he thou wert as ever full lovely but i feared for thee she moved not her hand from his and she said good and true squire i said ere i entered the thicket e'en now that i would reward thee if thou slewest the quarry he is dead thou thou hast left the skin behind upon the carcass ask now thy reward but take time to think what it shall be. He felt her hand warm upon his, and drew in the sweet odour of her mingled with the woodland scents under the hot sun of the afternoon, and his heart was clouded with manlike desire of her. And it was a near thing, but he had spoken, and craved of her, the reward of the freedom of her maid, and that he might depart with her into other lands. But... As his mind wavered betwixt this and that, the lady, who had been eyeing him keenly, drew her hand away from him, and therewith doubt and fear flowed into his mind, and he refrained him of speech. Then she laughed merrily, and said, The good squire is shamefaced, he feareth a lady more than a lion. Will it be a reward to thee if I bid thee to kiss my cheek? Therewith she leaned her face toward him, and he kissed her well favouredly, and then sat gazing on her, wondering what should betide to him on the morrow. Then she arose and said, Come, squire, and let us home. Be not abashed, there shall be other rewards hereafter. So they went their ways quietly, and it was nigh sunset against they entered the house again. Walter looked round for the maid, but beheld her not, and the lady said to him, I go to my chamber, and now is thy service over for this day. Then she nodded to him friendly, and went her ways. End of section 5.